0: Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for continuing with us here at First Alliance. My name is Tim Sridharin, and we love spending time in Scripture and getting into God's Word. So let me actually read our text today, which is Galatians chapter 2, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time today. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I had been eager to do all along. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly today as we spend time in this book of Galatians, as we look at a portrait of a disciple and what it means, uh, how the gospel interacts with our mission. Holy Spirit, come. I just ask for your words as I preach today. And I pray that we will be people who are faithful to the call that you have put upon us. So as we hear your word preached, Holy Spirit, come and transform us, draw us back to Christ, and continue to call us as a community to continually and faithfully walk alongside you as we participate in your mission to this world. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Crucial moments can change our lives and can also change the course of history. As we celebrate Remembrance Day this upcoming week, it makes me stop and pause and think about the Battle of Normandy in World War II. It was that crucial moment that changed the tide of the war in the favor of the Allies. Yet many gave their lives that day, to which we are thankful for. And we can even gather here because of the sacrifice of others. You see, Normandy was one of those crucial moments in history that changed the course of history. Even in our lives, we have these moments that change the trajectory or the course of our lives. When I was in high school, I was actually in grade 13, and for those of you who aren't familiar, once upon a time in Ontario, we went to high school for five years. Yet I realized at that time in my life, uh, even though I wanted to study computer science, social work was actually a better fit for me. So I decided to go back for an extra semester, grade 14. Yep, i like, I almost lived my entire life in high school, it seems. But that change in trajectory moved me to study something that I was more passionate about and that God had created me to do. For many of us, we have these critical moments in our life that change the trajectory of our life. Maybe it's a, a friendship that you came across, maybe it's someone, a small group that you interacted with and that moment you chose to follow Jesus. Maybe it's the person you met who's your spouse or you know, maybe it's the person you chose not to marry. It might have been a career move, a, a family decision or something else in your life that changed the outlook and the direction of your entire life. Today as we dive into the book of Galatians, I think we come to an important moment in the early church. This actual really crucial moment. And I don't even think I realized how crucial this moment was. Yet today as we study this text together, I think we will see... What was this crucial moment that the church was facing? What is the truth of the gospel? How does the threat that existed then still exist today? And what is God calling us to now? And how we live on mission with him. So if you have your Bibles, just keep them open in Galatians chapter 2. We'll just be diving back and forth in scripture and working our way through this text. We believe God's word is true, it's relevant, and it can transform our lives. So we love just letting the spirit of God lead us in our time. The beginning of Galatians chapter 2, we come across the apostle Paul headed back to Jerusalem after a 14-year absence. And he's going with his boys. He's going with Barnabas, who's a a Jewish leader, and Titus, who's actually a convert. He's a Gentile, um, which often this text refers to as uncircumcised, uh, which just means a non-Jewish. And if that term makes you squeamish, I'm sorry. It's shockingly going to come up a few times today in this text. Yet here they are headed back to Jerusalem, and Paul hadn't been to Jerusalem in a long time. Yet Jerusalem was the epicenter of the early church. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and rose, he ascended into heaven and told his church, his his followers to wait for him, for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit came upon that early church, the church broke out, they spoke in tongues, Thousands in some days were, came to become followers of Jesus, and there was like revival and transformation happening in society. Yet in Acts chapter 7, we have this moment where Stephen is martyred. He is killed for his faith, and the church scatters. But the call of those early apostles was to stay in Jerusalem and continue to preach this good news, the gospel, amongst their own people in their homeland. Peter and John were these apostles, and these were men who walked day by day with Jesus. They were there when he died. Uh, They saw the risen Jesus, and they experienced and learned directly from him. The apostle Paul didn't walk with Jesus during his lifetime, but he is an apostle in his own right. In the book of Acts, we actually see the uh, the first Christian who was killed, Stephen, when he was martyred. Paul, as a Pharisee, was standing there approving his death, Paul was actually a guy, and we, many of us know this from the book of Acts, who was bent, set his life against Christianity. He set his life against those who followed Jesus and pursued them, gathering letters to drag them into jail and chasing them all throughout the country. And as he went further north on the way to Damascus, he comes across Jesus in a vision, and he drops to his knees. as Jesus calls out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus grabs a hold of his heart. It utterly transforms him. He goes from being the guy who hated and was trying to murder Christians to one of their biggest advocates across the globe for this good news of the gospel. You know, this would be like in World War II, it would be like a jailer who mercilessly beat those under his custody all of a sudden, risking his life. He risks his life to free those who were in the concentration camps and help them escape. Many people thought Paul was faking this. Maybe this is a ploy to catch more Christians, but Jesus had genuinely transformed his life. And something specific to note, he gave him a particular mission. He said, don't go to where Jewish people reside, but go to where the Gentiles are, these non-Jewish people. Travel across the world and share this hope of the nation with others. You know, by the time of the end of his life, Paul has traveled all up the coast. He's gone into modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece. He ends up even in Italy. And if I was going to follow either Peter or Paul on Instagram, I'd definitely follow Paul. There's lots of fun travel pics and crazy action and adventure everywhere he goes. Yet here he is headed back to Jerusalem, which is not really the place where he gets to live out his mission. And so why would he do such a thing? If you look at verse 4, something had happened. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. Wow. That's pretty strong. Here are these false believers infiltrating. There are spies making us slaves. Paul is really clear. The people who are doing this, the people who have snuck into these church gatherings, the are not believers of Jesus. These are people who said, and we see this throughout the book of Galatians, that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to accept this good news, this gospel message, but also be circumcised, or also follow uh, other Jewish customs and etiquette. Now, there's nothing wrong with these customs and etiquette, but Paul realizes that if people need to be circumcised or follow Jewish eating rituals in order to enter into the Christian faith, then they're actually believing a fake and corrupted gospel. It's no gospel at all. Paul sees the value and sees the importance that with a gospel, you have to keep it pure. You can't add even just a little bit to it. You know, ask someone who has celiac disease who can't have any gluten. If they picked up a package that said, you know, this is 99% gluten-free, they would put it down because it would ruin their body. Even just a little bit In there pollutes the whole thing. And Paul has realized that this is the case with these false believers, these infiltrators, these spies who have entered into the church. They want to add something, just a little requirement, but Paul realizes that if they do, the whole gospel is lost. And this gospel message that Paul has been preaching is simple. The God who created the world created us, humankind, in his image. Yet when we humans chose to sin and we walked away from God, God in his great love pursued us, sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. See, the consequence of us turning our back on God was death. Yet Jesus took on that punishment through his death and resurrection that whoever would put their trust and faith and hope in him would experience the depths of Jesus now and forever More. The good news of the gospel calls us to repent of our sins, our our, our turning away from God, and turn to him for this new life in Christ. It's what we talked about last week, receiving this new identity as children of God. It's beautiful and it's amazing. Yet, in Galatians, theologians often use this term. There's something important that Paul is stressing. is that justification is by faith alone. We are justified. We are declared right. We are made right, not because of anything we do, but by faith alone, by trust in what God has done through his son on the cross for us. You know, we are saved. We enter into a relationship with God because of God's initiative. And our part is we respond by accepting this gift and just saying thanks. If someone were to give you a gift for, you know, Christmas or for your birthday, the proper response, if you don't know, is just to say thanks. The thing you shouldn't do is, like, open your wallet and say, hey, you know, that would probably cost you a little bit. Let me give you some money, at least 10% of that purchase to help you offset it. It would actually be kind of insulting. When someone gives us a gift, what we should do is receive that gift with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And quite frankly, the gift that Jesus has given us is nothing we can earn on our own. We can never pay for that gift, even though we always and often try to do that. It's almost like human nature to try to earn it ourselves. Yet there's a free gift that he gives to us. Our response is to simply look at Christ and what he did and simply say, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. So in verse 5, we see why Paul is so strong in his response. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Only the apostle Paul realized how crucial this moment was to the early church. If the church was to compromise and add anything to the message of the gospel, that that you could be saved by faith, but plus obedience to cultural norms or whatever it might be. Paul realized that you would lose the gospel. You'd lose Jesus. You lose grace. You embrace legalism. And ultimately, you lose the hope of the gospel and we lose our mission in Christ. Tim Keller in his sermon series on Galatians, which I just say, check that out if you want to go deeper into the book of Galatians, talks about how crucial a text this was to the early church. He says often people, you know, take their favorite scriptures and, the, and, and passages that they love and they cross-stitch it and put it up on their wall. I don't know how many of you cross-stitch. My wife does occasionally. Uh, it's not something I have uh, been ever known to do. But it's rare that you would ever find someone cross stitching this verse or this passage in their home. You rarely would walk into someone's house and see on their wall, yet, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Because the reality is, he was not compelled to be circumcised because he didn't need to embrace Jewish traditions and customs in order to receive God's gift. Paul actually brings Titus to Jerusalem to say, hey, look, here's this Gentile, this non-Jew, who doesn't know our customs and our way. When I preached the gospel to him, he felt no compulsion to start following Jewish traditions and customs. And Paul comes to the apostles, Peter and John, and the church leader, James, and he just wants to verify that, hey, are we clear? Are we preaching the same gospel? And want to be clear about the idea that we are justified by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And so he goes to them in verse 6, and look at their response. The apostles, they added nothing to my message. In verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, is also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. When Peter and John and when, when Paul gathered together, their messages were the same. Nothing was added, nothing was taken away. And we clearly see that this good news is a hope for Jews and non-Jews. And even more amazing, their mutual commitment to this good news resulted in a shared mission to take this good news to all peoples. You see, Peter and John were given a commission from from Jesus to stay amongst their own people and preach this gospel to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Yet Paul was commissioned to go to the far reaches of the earth to share with Gentiles, those non-Jewish people across the globe. Here's the reality. They preached the same gospel, and they were united in mission. They preached the same gospel, and they were united in mission. And I I love this message because because what we see here is a clear differentiation between, you know, what is the gospel and what is culture. And we see that the gospel message values culture. It will also challenge culture. We see the gospel valuing culture just in how each culture who comes to faith uh, expresses uh, their worship to God, the same God, of the same gospel message in different ways. That's why when we even gather on a Sunday morning, like our, our style here is we have an introduction, we sing, we pray, then we have a testimony, and then uh, we preach the word of God. That's not the way to do church. That's just the style of church. I think so often we can get caught up that this is the only way to do something. And I think a great application question for us to think through is if we are upset about something that's kind of going on or something in the structure of a, a, a of church, we should ask: Is this a cultural value? And when I say cultural, whether that be generational or of different ethnic groups, is this a cultural value, or do we have the freedom, and or do we have the freedom to be different, or does this pollute the purity of the gospel? Because here's the thing, if it pollutes the purity of the gospel message, if we are adding uh, to what Paul and Peter and John had agreed to, we need to stop. Yet if it's a difference, we may just need to sit down and wonder, is this that important? Or discuss how can we live out the gospel in our, with our different cultural expressions, whether generational or ethnic, together on mission See while the gospel will value each of our cultures one of the beautiful things the gospel will do is we will also challenge our cultures now most people and myself included you know we're great at pointing out the flaws or gaps in other cultures it just comes naturally to us or the cultures of our origin yet sometimes we're blind to our own cultural biases you know often like many churches just run their church like a capitalist business model as if that was the way Jesus designed it to be. You know, many of us in North America, and I say this as a North American, we view the gospel through an individualistic worldview. We read the scripture as if, you know, uh, it wasn't written to the people of God, but just us, and we misread and misinterpret much through there. I think one thing that we often do is we fail to realize how much consumerism uh, affects the way we function. We come to church like it's Netflix. Hey, what's good for us here? What's fun? What's entertaining? We bring our kids or youth to church and say, you know, the church is to entertain them, amuse them, keep them, you know, like hook them, or else you know we'll find some somewhere else to go or something else to do. Not to say that there's anything wrong in like being engaging, but often we come with a model of. What can I get out of this? How will this satisfy what I desire? I don't really know if that's how God created the church or what he created the church to be. I think another one of the ways the gospel challenges our culture is the way that we view one another. This past year, we've seen a lot of talk and discussion around racial tensions beginning with George Floyd and moving forward. Yet how often are we going to the gospel to understand what is biblical justice, how does that shape the narrative, and how, how are we actually caring and valuing those on the margins of those who are misunderstood? Or do we, are we just blind because of our own cultural lenses that hinder us from really understanding our brothers and sisters in Christ? We live in this tension, and I'm thankful for Andrew Walls' language on this. We embrace culture uh, because God values culture, yet we also know that the gospel will challenge culture because of sin that is inside our culture. So where do we go from here? What's our application? I just want to touch on four things. Justification through faith alone learning to value culture, learning to discern our culture, and how the good news always results in mission. We are justified by, through faith alone. Paul makes this really clear. He realizes the importance of not polluting the gospel and adding even the slightest thing to what makes us acceptable before God. So we have to be aware of what, what usurps this whole notion of faith alone In Christ. You know, many of us have passions we want. We want to say, hey, like, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want, you know, the good life, education for my kids, or financial freedom, or just to be accepted by my family. I think Tim Keller put it well, anything you add to Jesus Christ to make you happy will become your slave master. One of the greatest tests if we're following the gospel is when one of those things like, you know, the good life or happiness uh, or or my kid's future uh, is challenged by the gospel. I want Jesus plus, you know, I want to be happy, but if I can't be happy right now, do I really want Jesus? It's always great to ask ourselves, what is the thing uh, that we wouldn't give up in order to follow Jesus? Second, do we... Do we think of culture as God's gift for us? Do we think of culture as the beautiful design that he's given this world and that we all can express the beauty of the one saving gospel of Christ in our different cultural forms? Do we spend more time pointing out the flaws in other cultures or other generations? Or do we intentionally seek to understand the God-giving blessings that each one of them has? While we live in that tension of valuing culture, we always have to be wise and discern culture because sin permeates all things in our world. Do we understand how the Western view worldview makes us slaves to freedom, makes us slaves to cho- choice, treats us like consumers and we treat others like consumers and it makes us care more about ourselves and our family, making us narcissistic rather than following the way of Jesus to love God and love others. I think a a word of wisdom, too, is that I think our cultural blinders often uh, are great points where the enemy uses it to attack us. Whether on racial reconciliation or whatever the issue might be, the enemy loves using, uh, you know, dividing and breaking us apart. It often, when we spend time discerning, listening and understanding, we can understand what is the gospel and what is the gospel calling us to and how it's calling us to respond in this season. Finally, remember the good news of the gospel will always result in mission. Whether that calls you, like Adriana, to go to another country to share this hope of Jesus, whether you've come to Canada as essentially as a missionary to preach Christ here, uh, whether that's to share Jesus with family who doesn't know Christ within your local community, whether that's welcoming newcomers to Canada, whether that's using your God-given talents and abilities in your workplace for his glory, whether that's reaching out to the poor or those on the margins of society, engaging in what is biblical justice and God's work in this world. The good news that Paul preached that Peter preached was the same the same gospel, the same mission. We are a people on mission, a people who preach and live out this good news, this good news that is the only hope for the world. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.